You are listening to The Natural Philosopher with Dr. Mick Pope, a podcast on science, the environment, and the Christian faith. This podcast is written and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations, acknowledging that sovereignty has never been ceded. It always was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. Well, welcome to another episode of The Natural Philosopher with me, Dr Mick Pope. In this episode, and the next, I'm chatting to my friend Matt Stone about issues with the way in which we do church the phenomena of Forest Church, a gathering of Christians with a common interest in the creation, and what it means to live in and among people of other faiths, particularly those who are, call themselves pagans. So without further ado, here's the episode. I'm here. So welcome to the program, Matt Stone. It's taken a long time, but we're finally here. Thank you. <laughs> So we're going to have a, a widest ranging conversation over the next couple of episodes about things you're involved in and concern. And just for listeners, the heads up, particularly Forest Church. So I've been promising the Forest Church Australia group for ages. There would be a program on that uh, and other things a bit later on. But worth starting out just uh, telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and your faith journey. Okay. Um, well. I'm pretty much just a regular Christian in many ways. I, I, I'm a lay Christian. I'm, I'm not, um, I don't have any official titles to my name. Um, yeah, it might just help to, to start with my, with my faith journey just to, to give a sense of um, who I am and where I'm coming from. So I, um, I came from a fairly nominal Christian uh, Catholic family originally, um, but I was always a, a very curious and um, kind of guy and uh, I had a lot of questions from an early age and so I went on a fairly convoluted spiritual journey um, from my teenage years. I did um, some explorations into their cults, um, also New Age and um, Zen Buddhism and various other different spiritual traditions. So did Zen meditation, um, yeah, all sorts of things like that. So um, it wasn't till I was in my early 20s that, um, that I actually became a Christian and... That in itself is a fairly interesting story. Um, I'm not sure if you've you've actually heard this story before, Mick, but it started with um, meeting a girl who's now my wife, and she was um, she was an evangelical Christian, you know, and. Um, I was quite anti-Christian at that stage. Um, but what um, 
stopped me short was she was studying environmental science. And, and I thought, hang on, this doesn't quite make sense. You know, um, evangelicals hate the environment. So, uh, you know, how do, how do I wrap my head around that? So um, because she quite, didn't quite fit into my normal framework and way of seeing Christianity, it, it, I suppose it, it left me opening for, uh, for exploring things a bit more seriously and um the so i had basically um it's it was a long convoluted journey even then because um i still struggle with a lot of aspects of of christianity um when i became a christian i decided to follow jesus but i i still wasn't keen on joining the evangelical subculture so much. There was a lot of that that um, just didn't sit right with me. So um, even then, once I became a Christian, I like I like to um, explore things my own way. So I went down various different uh, Christian avenues and explored um, the Anabaptist tradition and the Orthodox tradition and a few different traditions. So even though I was actually attending a Sydney Anglican church at the time, um, I eventually gravitated more in a Baptist direction. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, over the course of it, I explored quite a few Christian traditions. And, and um, in that process, I came across a group called the Community of Hope. And they were they're a group of Christians who are engaging with New Age people down at Mind, Body, Spirits festivals, things like that. And um, which, given that was the sort of background I'd come from, uh, created a bit of context that I could explore all sorts of different issues. So, um, so my journey, you know, interacting with people in sort of new age alternative spirituality, um, environmental issues, greener forms of Christianity, peace churches and things like that. That's all woven in together right through my story. And um, so it's a bit hard to pull it all apart, actually, because it's all woven in together. Yeah, that's... If that makes sense. No, it does. And it, I mean, no... One person's history is simple, but there's there's a few things um, that I want to pull out. The first thing that comes to mind is obviously what's the what's the problem with evangelicalism? What was the why was it such a great surprise that your not that yet wife um, was mm. into quote unquote environmental issues, and why was that such a, a perceived clash with the stereotype, or maybe it's the reality of much mm. of evangelical Christianity? What are the what are the you know, beyond the superficial, what are the underlying kind of problems that you think exist in that tradition? That There was, well, there's two things that sort of immediately stand out for me that are sort of a whole lot of things tie into. One is um, the arrogance of evangelicalism and Western Christianity in general in that it tends to assume that it deserves the, the head at the table in Western society, um, that it doesn't necessarily need to listen to other faiths um, 
other questions that society is asking. There's a whole lot of things that that tie into that. How how evangelicals respond to different controversies, such as um, uh, the whole violence against women and issues like that, and and again environmentalism that they kind of dis- it's often dismissed and. Um, evangelicals tend to just assume that their view deserves to be heard rather than having a more roundtable view of how dialogue should happen. Um, The other thing that that particularly grated with me, though, is the Western dualism that seems to thread right through not just evangelicalism, but a lot of Western Christianity. Um, so there's a lot of emphasis on heaven and the masculine and also very much the cognitive dimensions of faith um, at the expense, expense of the earthly um, the feminine and um, the more intuitive aspects of spirituality. So it's it's almost as if you know one's bad and you know one's good and the other's bad, or one's somehow more important than the other. Um, whereas my some of my background in Eastern spiritualities, including Taoism, you, you're probably familiar with the yin yang concept. Um, where there's much more talk about balance. And um, that informed my understanding very much of uh, God is Lord of earth, sky and sea, uh, of men and women, that Christ is is in all and all things are for him. So a lot of these false dichotomies are very much... um, I find that they're quite prominent in the evangelical tradition and it's people kind of almost assume them as a default at times, um, whereas I'm interested in exploring alternative ways of Christianity that um, challenge those in some ways. So I'm very much into an everyday sort of faith that's not just um, emphasis on Sunday but it's on the weekdays and not just in a special building but it's it's worship is something that can happen anywhere and everywhere um, that doesn't mean you you can't worship on a Sunday in a special building but it's just um, that's only one way of doing it there's um there's so many avenues to pursue one of the um and I, I, this isn't necessarily a rabbit hole. I want to go hugely down and it reflects p- partially my ignorance, but, um, and, and you'll laugh at this, but I watch a lot of the eighties monkey and. One oh, of, I love that show. And it, it's fantastic, <laughs> isn't it? And it's, it's definitely more than entertainment. It's, it reminds me of like enter the dragon with Bruce Lee. It's definitely designed to teach you underlying f- underlying philosophy but one of the things i get from that and this is not to poke holes but the sense that there are aspects of buddhism that are similar because they want to say that reality and desire and so on are an illusion and they're to be Mm. escaped 
you know, so it's not what I hear you say, particularly in the, the multitude of the different traditions you've investigated, is that it's not an a la carte menu, but that you've engaged mm. in an intelligent kind of fashion with those mm. things. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm very much... Um, have, have back in my new age days, I, I was I was very a la carte, <laughs> um, I must say. But um, having committed my life to Christ, Jesus is very much at the centre of my path. Um, but I do find it um, looking back on my faith through the perspective of other traditions often helps me to understand my own Christian tradition from fresh perspectives. So, um, in, yeah, engaging with some of these other traditions, yeah, it, it, it poses questions um, that I might not necessarily have thought of um, any other way. And it often forces me to look back deeper into the scriptures and I end up finding things that were there all along, but I just missed them before. And but but coming in from this different angle, um, I now see that scripture talked about this all along. I just missed it before. And um, so, I, yeah, I find that that's very stimulating um, intellectually, but, you know, also spiritually and challenges me to, to look at myself. And it also... Um, challenges me with a bit of intellectual humility as well that, um, you know, I could have been looking at things, you know, reading that same passage for years on end and just not getting some aspects of what it was saying. And that comes back to what I was saying earlier about evangelical arrogance, that I think um, this pluralistic society that we live in in cities like Melbourne and Sydney, that um, it's important to engage, you know, we're, we're in multicultural, multi-religious cities and, um, you know, the neighbours I have, like I've got neighbours who are Muslim and uh, Chinese folk religion and Hindu, we've got a lot of Hindu neighbours and they've all got interesting perspectives and, and um, do they have no truth to offer? Um, I, I find that they've got a lot of um, interesting things to say, and I might not all, all agree with every, all of it. doesn't mean I have to agree with everything, but I think in the process of listening and working through things, you can discover new things about yourself as well and your own tradition. It's interesting, isn't it? The birthplace of what we now call Christianity was a... Uh, very much exactly that kind of world and you think about yeah paul's correspondence with corinth and corinth was the port city that you you might imagine sydney to be for example with uh, mm. people coming in from all over the empire and the different belief systems and and so on and paul's interaction with the mystery religions and picking up their language and critiquing mm. it but uh, i guess to picturing jesus in those categories for me it's interesting just before we move on um i've had a a reasonable amount to do with Brooke Prentice. Uh, so this is my know she's CEO of Common Grace, uh, which for Australians that's described as the Christian get up. I don't know what the equivalent would be 
in the UK, US. <laughs> I have a few listeners there, but it's aid and advocacy. Um, well, no, not aid, sorry. I'm thinking about tier. It's advocacy, so um, fronting up the politicians, organising events. There's a lot of people connected with it who've been involved with Love Makes a Way, getting chained up to various things in protest for the way in which we treat uh, refugees and asylum seekers. But, you know, I, I've given talks before and I'm talking about the insights that I'm slowly eking out of uh, the primeval history of Genesis and particularly Genesis 1 through 3 in my thesis studies. Mm. And she'd turn around and say, well, we've always been non-dualist. Aboriginal people have always had that yeah. perspective. And, you know, the more I dig and the more I read about the agency of creation, I'm working through Leviticus at the moment, my thesis, and the land vomiting out the inhabitants and the, the land enjoying its Sabbaths mm. using a word that's very rarely used for anyone other than Yahweh or, or the or people, um, you know, I, I think, and I say this endlessly, and they need to do a far more about it, but that our, our theology should be really post-colonial because in the context in which we, we live on colonised lands, the people can give us fresh insight to the Bible and are forming their own mm. flavour or version or strand of Christianity that uh, interweaves those understandings. So... What are we afraid of? You see, for example, and I'm not having a go at the publication, but Eternity News had a piece recently on smoking ceremonies uh, and the reactions of that. Yeah, and I, and I haven't read the article yet, and I just saw and I thought, yeah, here we go again. Um, there will be such visceral reactions. And I think the one thing I did post that lines up really nicely with what you're saying is someone said it was syncretistic. And I said, well, you know, you, you worship in a church building, yeah, clergy might wear funny collars. You'll be doing this, that, and the other. Your structures far more reflect the Roman Empire than they do the early church. And so Christian practice is full of syncretism. It's just syncretistic with Western yeah. culture. Mm. So we make that. If, if you think you're not syncretistic, it's like saying you don't have an accent. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> everybody uh, has an accent. Um it's, it's just good to be self-reflective enough to see, uh, do I actually understand the accent I have myself? Um, we all have a bias. We all, um, syncretism is a challenge that we all face. Um, I would distinguish between syncretism and, and critical contextualisation um, in that Syncretism tends to be a bit more sloppy, with whereas critical contextualization is more of a intentional engagement with different cultures and religions that holds onto the core of the faith. Though I've heard others talk in terms of good syncretism and bad syncretism, so <laughs> you know, I, you know, again, it's the language there, but. Um, Yeah, in terms of a, you mentioned post-colonial approach, well, yeah, some of the stuff that I've looked into to help me in my journey has been the um, non-Western non, non -Western forms of Christianity. 
So, for example, the yeah Aboriginal um, Christianity. That the there's a great little book. Um, was it Rainbow Spirit Elders? Uh, Rainbow Spirit Elders. That's a great book, um, and I've, I've got a lot out of that. Um, also by Indian and Asian Christian um, teachers and the Eastern Orthodox tradition. I've, I've gotten heaps out of that. Mm-hmm. And the the Celtic Christian tradition too, it took a different approach to the, you know, the Roman, Roman approach. And in, in uh, various different ways, you've got these different Christian traditions that... Um, yeah, had different ways of engaging with the world and in some cases, yeah, they were a lot less dualistic than what we've inherited in the West. Um, I particularly find the, the Celtic Christians, the way that they, um, they had different prayers for all sorts of different times during the day, for, for milking the cows and and uh, for lighting fires and, and people sort of, you know, they think about, oh, um, worship, what's worship? Oh, it's when we get out a big soundstage and, and you know, we'll get out the guitars and, you know, big do big worship songs. And Whereas you look at the Irish and, and worship could be milking the cow. Um, but doing it in a way that's um, reflective of our creator. Um, I find sometimes that a great time for prayer is when I'm doing the ironing. You so, iron? <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. Not all the times. Uh, I look scruffy half the time, but, yeah, when I do, um, yeah, if I'm ever ironing the kids' shirts, I find that's a great time to actually pray for the kids mm. as I'm ironing their shirts. Um, so there's lots of ways that um, you can incorporate um, prayer and worship into everyday life and in in some ways I was inspired by that by the Zen tradition where they've got the Zen ways where um, different things like calligraphy or archery or making cups of tea could become spiritual disciplines um, and okay my spiritual disciplines a Christian, they're not Buddhist, but I think their approach um, of yeah, turning, making a cup of tea into a into a spiritual discipline. I mean, why can't we do that? Um, and indeed, in Australia, uh, you know, making bush tea out of uh, um, you know your paperbark, your tea tree tea tree leaves you know that that can become a spiritual discipline it's interesting isn't it it's um we do there's a a few ideas running around my head we talk about um someone might watch a soap opera religiously and Mm. i was going to say it sounds like what you're talking about is being more conscious about the rituals or i know aboriginal christians prefer the word ceremony uh, but that mm. that sense that there's a, a structure to something, there's a, a rhythm to it, a regularity, it's something that occurs often, mm. but just being really conscious uh, of it and um, 
and I guess there's a couple of things that that um, what am I trying to say? Uh, that it that it is purposeful, that it's deliberately religious, but that there are a bunch of practices that you can take in any direction. And and the reason I say that is because mm. it comes back to the syncretism question. Is um, I remember reading stuff of people saying, "Oh, there's a godly way of breathing and an ungodly way of breathing," and they were trying to um, yeah you know, poke holes at um, what is it yoga or if it's Eastern, it's therefore automatically evil type thing. And you can, at the very least, without doing it in a very daggy, cliched Christian way, like contemporary Christian music did mm. in the 80s and so on, it take things that others do and spiritualize it. Is that the word I'm looking for? In a distinctively Christian way, mm. whether it be the ironing or making tea, as you say, or indeed doing church. Um, mm. And you've segued really nicely, I think, into the thinking about the bush um so we've talked a few about a few issues with at least one strand of, of temporary uh contemporary christian tradition and you, you touched upon too the four walls thing and the um the ability to worship outside of a church building talk to me about or talk to us about forest church and how you found out about that and what it is and and how you've you've experimented with it yeah okay so forest church it's a it's a movement that um began in the uk um a number of the um early pioneers in the movement are actually friends of mine from um actually a, a blog Oh, sorry, a forum called the Pagan and Christian Moot. Um, a lot of us met there and, um, uh, yeah, there's all sorts of long stories attached to all of this. But, but basically um, a, lot of us, a lot of us Christians who had been interacting with pagans were, were also interested in ways of um, following Jesus that were more in tune with nature um, and taking into account our own context that, you know, we're all nature lovers. And um, we felt a need for ways of expressing Christianity that were more eco-friendly. And um, in Britain there's a movement called... Um, now let's think of the name. It was it was kind of forest school or something like that, where they'd go into the into the bush and use that as a learning opportunity, and and from that, some of some of these people with thought of what well, what about forest church, and so they started meeting in the outdoors, and in that context, that that was where they were doing church. Um, so to explain a bit more about it, though, it's not just a matter of doing church outdoors. Um, it's it's much more participatory sense about it, but actually engaging with nature. There's more of a partnership concept going on there. So there's, I would say that Forest Church has three basic elements of it. It's basically people... Um, in touch with nature and in that context, seeking to follow Jesus. 
but it can take all sorts of different forms. It's not particularly prescriptive. So some people have a far more liturgical approach and some have a far more meditative approach. Other groups have a, um, for some groups, it's more of a meditative bushwalk. For others, I've had more formal gatherings. It can be anything you want it to be, really. Um, it is actually a book out called Forest Church by a guy named Bruce Stanley. Um, so if anybody's interested in finding a bit more about it, that's probably the best, best place to start. But it will talk about, um, it's first of all, where there's the concept of nature being the second book of God. Um, so you're talking about things like general revelation there. Mm. Um, without minimising the importance of scripture, um, God can speak to us in many ways. And um, I think there's a, there's a, um, there's a saying that um, gets brought up quite often in the forest church circles that's, um, I'd rather be in the mountains thinking about God than in church thinking about the mountains. Um, and it's that kind of expresses, I think, very well where a lot of us are coming from, is that there's a lot of people that um, find some of their most profound spiritual experiences haven't necessarily been in church, but they've been while they're doing the gardening or out going for a bush walk or watching a sunrise or out fishing and um, while sitting there in touch with um, the world around them, that's where God's reached out and touched them. And, you know, if that's where people are meeting God, well, why shouldn't we be doing church there <laughs> in, that, in that sort of context? Um and for some people, um, that speaks to them. And I should add, we're not we're not saying that this is some kind of panacea that um, this is going to be for everyone. But for those people who do connect with God in that way, saying, "Well, um, why shouldn't we?" And we look at the Gospels and how much of time how much of Jesus' ministry was spent out on the road or walking through the fields and looking at the lilies. Um, and we could say the same for, for um, Philip and, and, and other apostles. Um, there was a whole lot of stories um, set out in different natural contexts on mountains, on roads, by seashores and... Um, If that speaks to people, well, why not engage with God in that in that sort of way? I'm wondering, is that is that do you think that it speaks to some people because church fails to do what it should be doing, or that there are things that it could never do that being out in creation can do? By which I mean you know, there's a tendency to, and I'm not necessarily agreeing or disagreeing with it, to uh, have a shot at, say, mega church and uh, 
incredibly polished performance and we've probably a number of us have been in those situations where it feels rock concerty and you can either be really carried away with that and really in the moment and and you know for me personally there are some songs that really lift me up and capture me in a way in which other things don't is it that we often fail to do that properly is it perhaps and and here's a, a thought for you that's kind of related maybe and maybe you can resonate with this as i remember once seeing a um was outside of younger Barrow, i think in on the african mm. tablelands and seeing a platypus in the wild and it was dusk mm. and i got two brief looks at it and it's a very dark photo and for me it was a profound religious experience because mm. one of the things about being in nature and really wanting to like i'm a a bit of a wildlife photographer when I say bit of haven't done it for ages yeah. and I'm not very good, but you know, this is what I like to do is capturing the perfect shots really hard because you cannot manufacture that you have to wait mm. on nature. And I wonder mm. whether or not one of the things about that we can fall prey to in church or, you know, whether or not that's intentional and the way in which it's structured or we, we go in with that expectation that we can do the same with the experience of God. And if you want to experience God in nature, then that's leaving it up to God. That's not being necessarily able to control the experience, but it will come in some moment where you might see a bird or maybe it's, you see a rainbow in the sky or may, you know, what I'm trying to say is that there's the sense of numinous that's hard to box. We try to box it. We fall into the trap of, perhaps what Solomon was speaking about in his dedication speech mm. at the temple, the temple, the earth itself can't hold God. Um, does mm. that make sense as a, as a question? Oh, very much. I think uh, when you're talking about the two different questions there, I, I kind of think there's an element of both in that um, for some people, I think feel that more than others. Mm. Um but I think it can potentially be something that speaks to, to all people at some level. But uh, certainly for, for some, it's, it's a much more acute issue than others. Mm. Um, so I find even within the forest church circles, there's some people who can be quite happy um, dipping into their mega church music and all of that, um, you know, on a Sunday and then do some forest church stuff on another day. There's others that are far more, um, they find the whole megachurch approach very difficult and um, doesn't gel with them at all. So, it, yeah, I think, I think there's, there's a bit of both. Um, certainly within the Forest Church, there's, very, there's a very do-it-yourself kind of attitude and there's a turning away from the polished performances. Um, like if you want to have a cross, you make it yourself. <laughs> you might make it out of reeds or something like that. Um, so, it's, it's yeah, it, it's very much a turning away from the more commercial aspects in, in, in some ways. Um, but... You know, again, it's not prescriptive. So for people, if people do get something out of the, the more structured approaches, like that's fine. Um, nobody's going to say you can't. Um, but 
for some people, yeah, it's just not them at all. And so um, they'll very much be seeking a more do-it-yourself approach to spirituality. So, yeah. So it, it depends on how people, yeah, you know, what their own personal preferences are. Well, I hope you've enjoyed part one of my conversation with Matt Stone about the way in which we do church, about Forest Church as a response for Christians who are interested in meeting God in the creation. And we'll return to this theme and others, in particular Matt's experiences of living amongst and relating to people of other faiths, and in particular those who go by the label of pagan, in the next episode. For now, once more, thank you for listening and God bless.